Hashem. Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. The Shabbos, as you're well aware, in the Shabbos Parshas Baal Yitzcho. Kral Yisrael today. Was asked to unite. Ayim Achtus. As the first year outside. Hashem Yidrish Domam. Of the three teenagers that were kidnapped. Ayal Gilad Naftali. So obviously, not to separate Chas Shalom from Kali Yisrael, we'll co-dedicate, as we do every week, to Eliza Shlamis, or our Shalim, Shlusam Yognalenu, may their Shlus protect us, a very severe, serious moment, a somber moment. Three teenage children were kidnapped, innocently tortured Rahman al-Islam. and killed. On the other hand, Pash Baha'u'llah is actually a very, very happy day. A happy Parsha. Because it talks about Baha'u'llah, Rashi tells us the beginning of the Parsha. We must light the menorah so that the candle weak, the fire goes up on its own. Tzedah, as we said many times, is a lesson to all of us. And therefore we need to take the lesson. What lesson does this mitzvah of the candle being lit and the flame rising on its own The neshama of a Jew is compared to a candle. Ner Hashem Nishma Sa'adam brought down in Mishli, chapter 20, Pasik 27. The Ner of Hashem is the neshama of a Jew. And the Ner has to light up the other ner, which also brought down in Mishnah, back in chapter 6, verse 23, which is ner mitzvah v'tayra er. <coughs> the light of the tayra and the mitzvahs 
as well need to be kindled. This is therefore the service, the Aveda of the Haleska Saniris. Each and every Jew <coughs> referred to as Mamlechas Kehanim. And therefore they need to light and to add light to every other soul, every other Neir Hashem, Nishmas Adam that there is. Wherever you come in contact, wherever you come in contact, you need to see to light and to illuminate the fellow candle. When is this completed? When the candle's flame rises on its own. The simple effect that one has on a fellow Jew to light in the light of Teda and Mitzvah, this is only affected if the person's light lights on its own. Meaning that even if the first one that's incending, the one that's lighting the candle, leaves, the other one should remain burning on his own. And a person can say, okay, I already told him, I already spoke to him, I taught him a little bit about Torah Mitzvahs, I was Yetzir. But no, the candle, the only way that a person is Yetzir, person has to know that he can't leave the second person until the person has enough knowledge in, in Teda and Mitzvahs that his own candle is lit on its own and ready to light someone else's. Yimara tells us when it comes to the Mineda, it's a symbol of Teda study. And therefore, the Chavim taught us, if someone wants to become smart, Yimara Baba Basa, if you're keeping score at home, Chav Heyam at Days, 25, side 2, someone is looking for Chochma, Yishidavin, praying to the south, and how do we know this? Because the Mineda stood to the south of the Mishkan. If that's the case, why did Aaron light the Mineda and not Moshe? Moshe is the one that had the Tata. The reason that Aaron lit the Mineda is to show us that Teda has to have the desired effects. <coughs> Teda's study is not, not enough, not alone. Teda's study alone is not enough. Because Teda's study alone is like the candles, like the lamps on the Mineta itself, which didn't give off any light until Aaron kindled them. So if someone learns Teda and his soul is not ignited, his Mineta is lacking flames. What are flames? Flames come from a combustion of fuel. 
The flames of the Menorah represent Tefillah. During Tefillah, the person thinks about the greatness of Hashem and the lowliness of the man. When a person thinks of Beshiflis, of how insignificant he is in himself, and appreciating the opportunity that God has given us to approach God through davening, our egos become totally consumed. And that allows the creation of a flame. Why does Tvila come dafka through Arnakayin? The Zaya compares Meish and Aaron to Shushbinin, the ushers that bring in the bride and the groom. Meish is the escort of the groom and Aaron is the escort of the bride. Meish reveals Hashem's wisdom to the world, but Aaron focused on elevating B'nai Yisrael themselves, <coughs> drawing them closer to God. And if one elevates himself, we draw ourselves closer to Hashem. This is the focus of Tvila. Therefore, Hashem said that Arnakayan should light the Meneda. Because our service is Tvila, which is represented by Aram, which gives us the Kayach. Looking for Mommy, Shnaya. Many years ago, a shaliach in Berkeley, California, Rabbi Drizen received a phone call, a modern phone call out of Shabbos. And people always manage to get modern phone calls on Arab Shabbos. And the fellow was crying. And he says, Rabbi Jerusalem, this is the Chabad Rabbi, yes. You're the Chabad Rabbi in Berkeley, yes. So I have a terrible, terrible problem. So what's the problem? My daughter ran away with the missionaries. Now we weren't very big observant Jews at home. Um, but we would definitely not want our children to fall into the hands of missionaries. And the problem is that I would tell you to go on Sunday and not disturb your Shabbos, but on Saturday night, I'm sorry, on Saturday night they have a scheduled to fly to Hawaii for her baptism. You're my last hope to go out there, save my daughter, please. He says, where is this place? I told him where the place is. He figured about a two-hour ride from Berkeley. You should have time to get to there, speak to the girl for an hour, and maybe get back for Shabbos. P.S. And therefore, as a Chacham, he prepared other people to do the things, the functions in the Chabad house that needed to be done over Shabbos in case he doesn't make it back. Called his wife and told her the same. And he was off to see the wizard. He went to see this girl. 
What's her name? Her name is Adina. He asked a few more questions to see if the guy is really truthful and really sincere. He saw Nabuch is a true case. What am I supposed to do? I'm the shliach closest to this. He gets in his car, and his car obviously was not as good a car as they thought it was. And this two-hour trip, which anyone else could never make in two hours either, was really four hours. Now he gets there, and it's afternoon already. And there's no way, if he turns around right now and goes back, he's making it back over Shabbos. He found a store, a market, a supermarket, whatever it is. He went and he bought whatever he could find, kosher, some crackers and some sardines, some juice. And he figured, I guess I got through the Shabbos. And he set out to find the house. By the time he got to the house, he was starting to look at sunset. No, what's that mean? What's that mean? Knocks on the door, and the guy that comes to the door seems, looks like he's the balabos here. He looks like he's the boss. Well, he says to him, uh, "What? Um, who do you want? What can I, what can I do for you?" And we see the rabbi standing there with a beard and everything. So maybe he'll have even more fun. Maybe he'll um, convince him too. Kitzer, he tells him he's here for this girl, Adina. Where's Adina? He says, I'll get you, Adina, no problem. Adina comes out with her boyfriend. And Adina looks very angry, and the boyfriend looks very curious. And it was very late, and he tells them, listen, it's my Shabbos, I can't travel. Do you have a corner where I can lie down, I can rest for Shabbos? Yeah. So he went into a corner and he stood there to daven. He davened Kabbalah Shabbos. He made kiddush on whatever he had. He ate kiddush Hesud Shabbos. And then he sat down to talk to the people, to the girl who didn't want to hear a word, to the boyfriend who seemed very curious. And to this head honcho from the missionaries. He's talking to them and they keep presenting arguments and it's going back and forth, but throughout he kept his cool, kept calm. He refuted everything they said, obviously. But they got all 
hot-headed, and they kept screaming and yelling, and he would not raise his voice. In that respect, he was a professional. Was he a professional in dealing with missionaries? No. But they spoke about God. This went on until about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Now the problem was, <coughs> Adina was there, but she wasn't. Although she was sitting there, she was ignoring the whole thing. But she sat there nonetheless. Finally they went to lie down. The rabbi got up as early as he could in the morning to daven. They obviously did not have a secretary there. And he sat down to uh, talk weiter. He ate something from whatever he had left over. And they sat down to talk weiter. But he decided he's going to take a different approach. Instead of trying to talk her totally, totally out of everything, he told them, he says, listen here. My opinion, you guys are making a big mistake here. What's the big mistake? The big mistake is that you're going to take her and baptize her. And truth to be told, she doesn't even know what Jewish means. So, right now you're telling her that you're changing her from a Jew to a whatever you're changing her to. But the fact remains, she doesn't know what the Jew was. So when you change her, it's not getting anywhere. What are you going to accomplish with that? Later down the line, when she'll want to go discover Judaism, because she knows that her roots said something about Judaism, she's going to call you fraud. She's going to call you a bluff, as we say it. And she's going to say, I'm sorry. I never knew this was what Judaism is all about. I never knew the beauty of Judaism to such an extent. And therefore, I feel that you fooled me, you bluffed, and I went out. So the rabbi says to them, I make a recommendation. Let her go study for a half a year Yiddishkeit. No, to know what it's all about. To know what she's running away from. Mimela, when she comes back to you, she'll be an informed customer. She'll know why she's doing this instead of Judaism. She'll know what this is, the pluses of this over Judaism. The the mister and the, uh, the, the, the boyfriend and the master over the head were intrigued by this suggestion. But Adina was not. Actually, Adina was extremely distraught and angry about the whole story. This Jewish child, Adina, Shabbos day had gone by, and Rabbi Drizen said, Eshelia Sisi, I did mine. I know it wasn't successful, because the girls refusing to come with me. 
But I did what I could. I'm not a professional at this. I know I'm not. But I had no choice. The last minute, like this on Friday, she's going on Matzah Shabbos to be baptized I had to give it any shot that I could. Wasn't good enough, wasn't good enough. What can I do? No. He turns around and he says to them, Goodbye, good riddance. As he gets to the door, Adina says, Wait. How long did you say? He says, Six months. At the end of the six months, you let me go free and nobody bothers me again? He says, No problem. Wait, I'm getting my bag. And she grabbed her bag. And she went with him, with Rabbi Drizen. As they're talking, he calls up and he arranges in Minnesota, they have a very, very wonderful grill facility for Balas Chuvas. And he arranges a place for her there, arranges the ticket. And we're all set to go. They get to the airport. And Adina says to him, Minastam, probably, you're a little shocked, a little baffled as to why I changed my mind all of a sudden. Rightfully so. I want to tell you what happened. Nothing personal to you, Rabbi. But you had no effect on me whatsoever. I, even, I hardly even listened to anything you said. So although you spoke to your face was blue a whole Shabbos, it had nothing to do with me. But when you turned to leave, I remembered something that happened 15 years ago to me. I was a little girl, 7 years old, we lived in Brooklyn. And my parents had gotten an appointment, an appointment to go see a rabbi, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. We had to wait for quite a while. It was well into the night when we got into the room. Although I didn't understand much he said, I just kept looking, staring at his beautiful, beautiful face. His beautiful, kind, kind face, his kind eyes. It's so friendly. What should I tell you? The devil looked at me, gave me a bracha to be a good Jewish woman. He turned to my father and said something very strange to him. He told my father, the day will come when you will need help. When that happens, just call us and we'll help you no matter what. So the girl says, I heard, my, I heard the Rebbe's voice again. And I realized what was happening. 
Suddenly I understood why you came from nowhere and wasted an entire day for me, a total stranger who you never met, or my parents you never met, because you came to fulfill the Rebbe's prophecy. And fulfilling the Rebbe's prophecy, I couldn't say no to that. So I didn't say yes to you, I said yes to the Rebbe's prophecy. Well, Adina went to Minnesota for six months, eight months, ten months, eleven months. Adina now has Baruch Hashem, a beautiful from family. And may they all live well and wood together. And so we see how a candle needs to be lit. And the flame needs to rise. And the flame needs to keep going. This Shabbos is Yutes Sivan. Shabbos, we said, is always a day that Minim is All the days of the week are blessed from Shabbos. So obviously, and we bench Shkedesh sometimes every month. We bench the we bless the week, forthcoming week in which Shkedesh is found. And we say that we bless especially the days of Rishchidosh. So obviously this coming Shabbos is the day that we bless its Sunday following, and the Sunday following is Chof Sivan. Chof Sivan is known as the Forgotten Fast Day. Reb Shabsi Cohen, more popularly known as the Shach, no, the Shach, the, Rav, the first Rav to institute the first day of Chav Sivan. And he did this in commemoration of the Gezeres Tachvatat. The terrible Chemlikni massacres, southern Poland, Ukraine, took place in the years 1648 and 1649. From his words, it looks like that he told his family to fast. His descendants should fast. But in 1652, Council of the Four, of the four Lands also declared a fast on Chavsivan. And that was for the public, and it was a public at large. The Yomtev Lipman Heller wrote a very moving dirge commemorating this. And it was published in Krakow in 1650. He had moved there to Krakow in 1644. In his dirge he lists Twelve of the almost 300 communities that were wiped out, decimated during these massacres. It starts off, the Tefillah starts off with obviously, and becomes very original. Proper historical attention. The Terror of Tachvetat 
was so immense and shocking that the Rabbanan wanted to focus what sins took place that the Jewish the Jewish people were doing to bring about Rahman al-Islam such a mass destruction. Reb Berach, one of the leading Rabbanim of that generation, gave a list of things. First of all, Rahman al-Islam, the Jewish farmers were breeding pigs. Secondly, there was Chil Shabbos, desecration of Shabbos. Thirdly, there was davening without proper focus and intention. Without Kamala. Fourthly, there were speakers that were darshaning, darshanim, that were talking about Teda, that were teaching Teda, expounding on Teda, and they were saying false things. Tznius, obviously. These were some of the sins that caused this. And he, call, he calls for an immediate tikkun to fix these sins of Khmer The Mishabedach, because of Xedis Tachvatat, And there are those that do it till this very day. Again, Rabbi Yomitav Lippmann Heller wrote this Mishberach. He was a Talmud from the Maralma Prague. It's very possible Maralma Prague himself wrote it. But Rabbi Yomitav Lippmann Heller was the one that got it out onto the market, as you say. Needless to say, one of the biggest problems it talks about is the talking in shul. Unfortunately, it seems to have existed throughout Middle Ages. There are many sedurim that have the text Mishberach. Those who watch their mouth, their tongue, mouth and tongue, talking during davening. And the original version that they actually wrote, that, he, that was written, says clearly, those who talk from Baruch Shama until the completion of Davening, during the reading of Sefer Teda, Rahman al-Zan, during the words of Teda, even the words of Teda, and certainly idle chatter, spreading rumors, Rahman al-Zan. <coughs> There's no question of Yom Tavlikman Heller, was not a fan of idle chatter, especially not in a holy place like Shul. This was not aimed or geared for the general situation. He wasn't focusing on a particular issue, but rather prost and poshut, people need to stop talking during davening. During Shazar Sashats, during Kriyas Atera. Sh- 
And he felt that step-by-step approach was the best way to get to it. So he first focused specifically on these areas. Now we know, of course, that Haman, Hamliki, Amalek all come about and all surface. They all come to fight when the Yidin are not behaving in Shul. Someone came up with a Kabbalistic connection. And he said that the Jews that were around in 1648 were Gilgul from the generation of Haman. The Yidin that bowed down to Haman, they didn't die in the Sidis Nefesh, they bowed down to Haman's cross. They needed to be even sacking the Nishamas. They needed a ticket for the Nishamas. The ticket for the Nishamas was that in 1644, 48, 49, the massacre that they all died on Kiddush Hashem. We're going to go into the parsha. A very ironic thing that takes place in this week's parsha. They talk about Pesach Mitzrayim, Pesach Mitzrayim, the carbon Pesach, and then it says. There were people that were impure. And they come and they approach Meish And they say to him, We were Tomei for whatever reason. Why were we worse than anyone else? Why were we being deprived of the mitzvah of bringing the Karban Pesach? Truth to be told, we've elaborated on this before in Pasha Baal Rashi also cites about this section of the Teda. First, this is Lama Nigara. Rashi answers, Amalahem ain't Kachim craven Betuma. Why are you worse? Because Kachim cannot be brought. When someone is tummy, when someone is impure, Avno they said to him, "Yizik adam aleinu, bekanim at the bekanim to him, throw the blood on us, dam paraduma, and make us pure." But prior to that, when the parsha starts to discuss karm pesach, the vedabesh al meishav yasim neisalas pesach meyadei, Rashi tells us a very interesting story. Rashi tells us, Pasha, Shebereisha Sefer Lenemra Ad'ir, the beginning of the Pasha, the beginning of the Chumash, Bamidbar, was said in Chaydish Ir. So in that case, why didn't he start with this? Why didn't he start with this Korban Pesach, which is the Chaydish Nisan? Rashi says, Mepneishu Ginusen Shai Yisrael, Shekhalabayim Shana Shai Yisrael, Bamidbar, Le'yekriva Le'pesach Zabavat. 
He was an embarrassment for the Jews. Because 40 years in the desert, they did not bring up a carbon Pesach. Tough stuff. So firstly, let us understand what is Mesha again teaching us, teaching them about somebody impure not being a carbon. We know this already. We've heard this already. Back in Pasha's Nosli. So why these people that were Tommy asking questions? They knew very well what it is. They heard already before. Because according to the Pasha Pshat, we never found that the Karim Pesach in Mitzrayim was like a Karim. It was a mitzvah itself, shech the, the, the shepsula, eat it roasted with matzah with mutter, put the blood on the on the doorposts. There was no mizbeach, no hakrovi. On the doorposts is only a sign. I'll see the blood. I'll jump over your house. There was no bringing carbon. And throwing of blood. So when the Jews are commanded to make the Pesach, Shana Hashenis on that second year when they came out of Mitzrayim, they thought that it's talking about the same form that it was in Mitzrayim. And therefore the Karban Pesach is not together of Karban and Kachin. And therefore, although Karban and Kachin need to be Bittahara, did not necessarily did this have to be. It could be maybe done with Tameim also. In Mitzrayim, they were all Tameim still. Therefore, they said, now, Lamini Gada, why are we worse? Last year we were allowed to, and now this year we're not. Therefore, Moshe comes up with the Chiddush here, and he says to them, you can't bring Kachim when you tell me. That Karim Pesach that you made the second year, falls into the category of Karban and Kachim. <coughs> therefore, you have to bring them on the Mizbeach. Therefore, you cannot be Tommy. <laughs> we spoke prior Shurim the Gnai, the embarrassment of the Jews, that didn't ask for 40 years for a carbon Pesach. Listen, they came out of Mitzrayim, they were told to bring a carbon Pesach. The first year out of Mitzrayim, bring a carbon Pesach. Second year, Shtum, they didn't ask. For 38 years thereafter, they didn't ask. By the first two years, First year they were told. First year they came out of Mitzrayim, they were told as they were leaving Mitzrayim. And the first, second years, we just said, they were told they had to bring the current Pesach. <laughs> a practical question. We learn this all the time, over and over, about the Lomani, about the Gnai of the Eden, the embarrassment of the Jews. They didn't ask for the current Pesach. The Jews were simple people. <laughs> they were in Nashim Whatever Moshe taught them, they were taught. 
Where were Moshe and Aaron? Why didn't they bring the carbon Pesach? They were not Tommy. Why did Aaron and Moshe not bring the carbon Pesach? You're telling us the Yidden were no good, they didn't for 40 years ask for the carbon Pesach. Where were Moshe and Aaron themselves? The truth is that the bringing of a Karim Pesach had to do with going into Eretz Yisrael. Tal Akosav Mitzvuzum Shakrav Zepesach Vibiyasim Leitz and in Midbar, Rashi says before, in Pasha's Boi, they were only obligated the second year to bring that one carbon Pesach. But still in all, the Jews didn't ask for Makadish Baruch Hu, obligate us to bring it the rest of the years too. Why are you taking it away from us? And this was the Genai, this is Genusim Shayisro, this is the embarrassment that they didn't ask. But why didn't Moshe and Aaron ask? Let us understand a Nasi. Let us understand a leader and a shepherd. What approach they take to their flock. A true leader, a true Nasi, a true shepherd is ready to sacrifice himself for his flock. He's ready to go with Mesidus Nefesh for his flock. No. And doesn't think about himself at all. He's selfless. Moshe and Aaron was just such, just such, just such shepherds. And therefore, they only thought about the goodness of the Jews. We saw Moshe be Mason Nefesh himself and said, Erase my name from the Tata if you're going to destroy the Jews. He was ready to be totally obliterated from the Tata that the Jews should not be hurt in his part, his, because of him. <coughs> and therefore, we understand this Indian as well now. Meisha and Aaron had a cheshek. They wanted the Karim Pesach. They knew all the connotations, all the kedusha, all the everything that was involved in bringing the Karim Pesach. They wanted to bring this Karim Pesach. However, in order, why did they not ask Rebbeinu Shlom? Tell me, I'm chayev to bring a Karim Pesach. I can bring it. Make it a mitzvah for me. Because even though through this they would gain another mitzvah, but it would have revealed the Genusen Shah Yisrael, it would have revealed the embarrassment of the Jewish nation. Because you're, you're, you're poking a fire here, you're poking a, a sleeping situation. As long as everyone's not asking, it's, it's, nobody notices, it goes under the radar. But when you send up smoke signals, all of a sudden you can't go under the radar anymore. It becomes noticeable that there is a Karim Pesach in the lurk, in the lurch, and you, Kalal Yisrael, are, are neglecting it. 
Moshe not in Haraya asking for it, so therefore there's something to it. It has hands and feet. But the fact that you're not asking for it, call yourself. This is a Gnai, this is embarrassment. <coughs> therefore, Moshe and Aaron refrained <coughs> as true shepherds and leaders. They refrained and they punished themselves by not having this mitzvah just that the Jews should not be embarrassed to keep the covet of a Jew. And this is famous, famous, many famous stories of great Rabbanim that did things like jumping into ovens. The famous story of a fellow that uh, was a time, I don't remember who was, he used to go bake chalas. His wife would bake chalas and he would deliver it to the poor people. At night, at Thursday nights. And they delivered it quietly, they shouldn't know who it was, etc. In the middle of the town was a public oven. And it was one Thursday night, he and his wife are going to live in the house, and they put it down by a door, and the person wanting to know who was doing this was standing by the door and opened the door, surprising. They didn't want to get seen. They didn't want to know who it was. They didn't want people to know who it was. So they started to run. Tells us the Svarim, the Gemara, I don't know where it is. They jumped into the public oven. But the Tana, the other's feet were burning. And he was jumping up and down. He's in pain. <laughs> He's there, really? He was in pain. He couldn't stand on the coals. So his wife said to him, Kum my feet. Stand on my feet. My feet are not burning. And he stood on her feet until the people went by and they came out of the oven. If they were in such miraculous situation, because of them, see this nefesh, that they didn't get burnt, they didn't get consumed by the fire and the flames inside the oven. So why were the feet burning? Not his, not both feet, only his feet. Why was her feet not burning? Why was why was she holier than he? Because she made the chalas. Because she made the chalas, she had a greater schus than he had, and therefore her feet weren't burning either, and he was able to stand on her feet. This we see, therefore, a typical example of Mrs. Nefesh not to embarrass a fellow Jew. Sometimes a person does something, sometimes a person wrongs you in a certain way. And he scars you for it. And you can't get over it. Tells us the tailor you have to work on yourself to get over it and to forgive not to shame the person that did it to you. The horrific sin of shaming a fellow Jew. Meish and Aaron was to, went to such a length. Not They deprived themselves from the tremendous mitzvah of Karim Pesach, not to embarrass the Jewish nation, not to embarrass the fellow Jews. Still, doesn't make sense. Who said they knew anybody? Yeah. 
It would have come out. They would have said. If Moshe and Adam would have said, we want a Karim Pesach, and Moshe and Adam themselves would have started bringing a Karim Pesach, even if that would have awakened the Jews, and would have made it to the Jews, and would have said, hey, you're doing it, maybe we should do it too. Okay, it would still go, but they're only doing it because Moshe and Adam are doing it. Why? The fact that they did not say it on their own would, would only be magnified. They really knew and they thought that it was us who completely to do it in the so they wouldn't do it. And, and it was done the second year, why should it be us for the rest of the years? Because maybe it was only done once. They didn't say it anywhere, they weren't told that at the time. Shaitan, they were told, now it's time to bring the Karim Pesach. It's not in here, but it would not have been a case of showing it to you. It would not have been a case of Moshe and Adam coming and saying, okay, this is how we do it, because they were obligated to ask for the Karim Pesach. Because David Shadavki didn't tell it to them, so they should ask for it. And they, they failed that test miserably. But had Moshe and Adam done it, or asked for it, he would have magnified, it would be like a magnifying glass, on their on their fellow on their on their shortcoming. So why why didn't Mojanan do it? Why shouldn't why didn't they at least awaken them to do it? That was not the that was not the, the, the proper way to do it. Proper way was not to awaken them. Proper way is they should themselves have to know to do it. They have to know it from within themselves. You need sometimes a wake up call. You need somebody else to work the Moshe Rabbeinu said, Mashiach is coming. The Rebbe Marash, fourth Lubavitch Rebbe, had a very interesting life. He lived a very, very, very expansive life. life. Mm-hmm. Everything was, he flaunted everything, as we say. He had horses and wagons and expensive horses and beautiful wagons and beautiful home. But he had an interesting say that day, though. Every day he would have his wagon driver mount the wagon and he would take him into the deep into the forest. And the chassidim were not allowed to follow Taken deep into the forest, they would spend the, whatever time they would spend there, and they would come back. The Rebbe Marash said, Delt had a lot of money, Baruch Hashem. So he paid his wagon driver very, very well, and he told him, Listen here, my friend. If you ever tell anybody what you see in the forest, your job is toast. So, as much as the Chsidim tried to pry about the Balagola, to tell them about what what went on in the forest, he would never give out. He would never divulge. One time, one of the Siddim had a birthday. He's making a fabrengen, and he happened to be very friendly with the Balagola. He wants to do the Balagola a very big favor, so he invited the Balagola to come to the party too, to fabrengen. And the Chassidim sought to bring extra mashka to the Fabring. And all the excess mashka that they brought, they were plying the Balagola. And they plied and they plied and they plied, they gave him the drink. 
And then the first chassid got up and started telling stories about himself. They were all inebriated already at this point. The Balagola worse than anyone else. And each one started telling stories. And then it was the turn for the Balagola to tell a story. They poured him another cup of the chayim. said, no, davai, davai, tell us. He says, I'll tell you the truth, he says, I don't understand. Your Rebbe is very, very, I don't know, he's different. And they said, they may believe they're not, oh, they're not really interested in what he has to say, he's a shikha guy. But in truth, being told, they were all stuck and glued to hear what he's going to tell them. The Bible, they poured him another L'chaim, he says L'chaim again. He says, you all know that every day I take the Rebbe to the forest. We go very deep into the forest and we come to the same spot every day. The Rebbe disembarks, he dismounts the, from the wagon. He goes to a certain log, same log every day. And he sits down and starts to cry. And to bawl like a baby. And he cries and he cries and he cries. All of a sudden, out of the log, starts to come out a whole colony of ants. But not regular ants. Big ants. The ones that bite. Yeah. And they cover the Rebbe's body. And they spend a certain amount of time every day the same thing. And all of a sudden the ants go right back where they came from. The Rebbe doesn't shoo them. He doesn't push them. He doesn't He doesn't say a word. He just sits there and cries. Then he cries a little bit more. He gets back in the wagon and we come home. This was the Aveda of the Rebbe Marash, and he had no idea what it was all about. Another very interesting story, the Rebbe Marash, he had to travel for a journey, he had a lot of dealings with the government, he was, because he was so affluent, he was very influential. His affluence gave him a lot of open doors with government, high, high government officials. And... Um, He had to travel somewhere once. So it was decided that the second stop after where the Rebbe Marash had mounted, a certain Chosid, the Byakiv, lived in the next town. He was to get on the train, help the Rebbe with anything he needed to go to sleep, then go back home on the next train back and let the Rebbe travel on his journey. Apparently the Rebbe traveled himself. Kids of Yaakov got on the train and the Rebbe told him, stay. Stay till the morning. He was a little shocked. What's he going to do now? He didn't even take his talisman to film. Stay till the morning. He's not going to ask the Rebbe for his talisman to film. The Rebbe said, stay. He said, okay. He took, he bought a compartment next door to the Rebbe's. Paid for the compartment. And as soon as the Rebbe lied down, he went to his room, his compartment. He slept the night. The Rebbe got up much earlier than he did, obviously. The Rebbe had already completed davening. And when he came into the Rebbe's compartment, the Rebbe was sitting there with a tremendous smile on his face. Tremendous simcha. 
train comes to the next stop. This young man gets on, no beard, no nothing. And he inquires, where's the Rebbe Nash's cabin, compartment? And he goes inside. And Yaakov is standing there. Yaakov is standing there. The Rebbe is sitting there with this beaming smile. And this fellow is staring at the Rebbe. And finally, Yaakov says, come and sit down. The guy sat down. And the Rebbe says to him, Why do you have something dangerous in your pocket? Why are you carrying something dangerous? That can hurt other people. The guy was shocked. The Rebbe says, Give it to me now. He reached into his pocket and he took out a gun, a pistol. The Rebbe took it and threw it out the window into the bushes, the moving train. The Rebbe told him, Yaakov, here's my talisman. If you want to go back to your room, Davin, we have what to talk about here. An hour later, Yaakov comes back in, and his fellow tells him the following. I represent the Maskilim movement. The Maskilim was somebody at the Rebbe fought tooth and nail. These are guys that were against Yiddishkeit, Yiddishkeit. And they sent me to kill the Rebbe, to assassinate the Rebbe. Because the Rebbe gives us a very, very hard time. The government officials and everything. I was told the Rebbe was alone on the train. So first of all, I came in, the Rebbe was smiling. Such a phenomenal smile. I was mesmerized. And then I saw that somebody else with him too. I was totally confused, totally lost. I was in awe of the Rebbe. He told me to sit down, I sat. And the Rebbe spoke to him about Yiddishkeit, about everything. Finally, the Rebbe said to him, maybe you want to daven too? The guy burst out into tears. He took the Rebbe's tool and he davened. This is a guy that was anti the the, the Hasidic movement of the Yiddish from any Yidden. And then the Chassid understood what his mission was. The other fellow got off on the next, very next stop. And the Rebbe told the Yaakov he can go back home too. And the Rebbe went on for the other journey. You see, therefore, the leader of the Kali Yisrael is somebody that needs to feel, the, to fulfill his obligation, his want that Yidin, the Klai Yisrael, should be happy, should be safe. And therefore, in honor of all the condition of the Gizera of Takvatat, and of the, all the other decrees, the Gizeras that were against the Yidin throughout, we'd therefore like to hope and pray that this very Shabbos, we were blessing Instead of blessing a fast day, we should find ourselves in Yerushalayim, and we should call out and we should anticipate the bringing of Mashiach, the Karbanis in Yerushalayim, Yerakadish, it's very Shabbos,
Shabbat Shalom to all.